And so, Father, we come before you because we want our hope to be in you and you alone. Father, we just pray this morning that you would be our God, Father, and that you would just allow us to be able to come and worship you this, this morning. Father, we're so thankful for Easter that Christ could be our Savior, could be our Redeemer, Father, could be our Rescuer. Lord, for us to put our hope in you requires that we are able to admit that we can't do life on our own, to admit that we are not capable of fixing ourselves, but that you are the one who is capable of restoring us to you. So, Father, we're just going to take a moment right now, each of us individually, to be able to come, to be able to face you, to be able to ask forgiveness for all the mistakes that we've made, the selfishness, to say, God, forgive me of my mistakes and help me to start today anew again. So let's just do that right now, each of us individually, quietly to ourselves. Let's just do that. Take a moment right now. Father, and we just come before you this morning, Lord, and we just ask that you would just forgive us of those things, Lord, and help us to be able to move forward in relationship with you in our lives. Father, we thank you that you are faithful and that you are just and that you are willing to be our hope and to be there for us. Father, we ask this morning that you would send out your Holy Spirit to be in our lives, to encourage us, to move us forward into relationship with you. Father, we thank you for this time and we thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made. We pray this in his name. Amen. We've heard testimony from those very close to our community. I wanted to give a few more people the opportunity to say something on on Jarius's behalf. Please, Mr. O'Neill, come on up. Jarius was a player on the Cumbas baseball team that I coach. Honestly, he, uh, he was too young to play. But he wanted to be a part of the team so badly that uh, I couldn't say no. Gee, baby, you're up. He had a great smile, too. No, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I've got Jarius Evans batting for Jefferson Tibbs. He was a really tough guy. Just a boy, really, who, uh, 
wanted to be around his older brother. Hang on, coach. I don't know if Jerry Seven's on this roster anywhere. Oh, you know what? He's, uh, there he is. He's okay. The other day, we played a really important game against a good team. And two outs in the last inning. Gee, baby. I had no choice but to let Jarius bat. You can swing if you want, but you don't have to, okay? If you go down looking, none of us care. But if you want to swing, swing. Get back in there, do what you feel. Okay. He was fearless as he stepped to the plate. I was terrified for him. strikes and our hopes dwindling. He hit a shot down the first baseline. he ran to first base. I swear, I was lifted in that moment to a better place. I swear he, uh, he lifted the world in that moment. The story of Easter is that God cared so much for us that he sent his son who lifted up his hands in victory, right, and was willing to sacrifice his life for us, right? That's the story of Easter in a nutshell. In fact, we could just go home now because we have the idea, and if that doesn't stir you, that doesn't excite you, then have the person next to you beat on your heart and loud and get that pumping a little bit here. Well, today we're going to talk about the return to hope, knowing and knowing and having a relationship with God and getting back to first principles with Him, having that vibrant relationship with Him. In the movie clip, we see a return to hope. You know, Keanu Reeves is really upset because G-Baby died. In the story that we're going to read this morning, Mary is really upset because the J-Baby, Jesus, died, right? But, of course, the way the Bible ends is that Jesus rose again on Easter, the day that we're here today, for us to be able to have relationship with God and make a way for us to be right with Him. So we see a return to hope here. Well, this is our series that we've been working on for the last couple of weeks. 
Our four-week series has been on people of hope. So what we've been doing is we're looking at different people in the Bible, and we've been talking about how they found hope in God, how they got back to that hope, how they were restored back to hope um, in Him. Well, here's our strategy, but before I mention our strategy, um, let me just say that when we use the word hope in English, we say things like, I hope I win the lottery, or I hope the cute girl in chemistry class will go out with me, or I hope that I get a Ferrari one day, right? That's the way we use the word hope. But the problem is when the Bible uses the word hope, like when it says, I hope in the Lord, it really means a confidence. And in fact, in a lot of modern Bible versions, you will see the word confidence there instead of hope. Because when it says that, we, that God calls us to put our hope in the Lord, it means that we are putting our confidence in Him, that we know He is going to do what He says He's going to do, right? And that we are waiting patiently for that event to occur. We know that God is going to do something, and that is the hope that we are waiting for. That is the hope that we have in God. Well, here's our strategy. In the first week, we talked about David. David was a king, and he went through a lot of bad things in his life. He had some really good things. He had some really bad things, right? And he wrote a psalm, as we talked about in the first week, that reflected on the fact that only God is good, right? Then when we look for something that is good in our world, that we realize that there really isn't any other good except for God. Let me give you an example. Let's say tomorrow morning you have a problem at work, okay? And so you need someone to bounce that problem off, right? You just need a second opinion. So you call me up on the phone and you say, hey, pastor, here's the problem. Um, and I, I, do you have an opinion? How should I handle this? How should I handle my coworker? How should I handle my boss? And I say to you, after thinking about the problem, I say, well, I have some bad ideas and I have some bad advice. Do you want it? And the answer would be, no, right? Because we get lots of bad advice and lots of bad ideas all the time, right? So we don't need more of those. The problem is, as David pointed out in the psalm that we read three weeks ago, is that when we look into our world, there's lots of bad ideas, lots of bad advice, right? And when we get right down to it, there really isn't anything that is good and pure and righteous and whole in our world except for God, right? Nothing else. And so if we want to establish and ground our hope in something, it has to be God. Now, second week we talked about Hezekiah. He also was a king. He also wrote some stuff in the Bible. And here's what he dealt with just very briefly from our second week, which is real hope comes only from God. So if God is the only source of good in our world, if he's the only thing that is meaningful, he's the only thing that is valuable, right? Then if we're going to ground our hope in something, it has to be something that is what? Good and meaningful. As I asked the second week, if the, I don't play the lottery, so forgive my language here, but if the Powerball or whatever said, hey, there's going to be a Powerball and the jackpot is going to be $1, we're all going to run down to the store right now and go get a ticket for a $1 jackpot, right? No, we're not going to do that. Why? Because it's not enough for us to do what? Get our hopes up, right? The only thing that will get our hopes up is something bigger or more substantial than ourselves, right? That's what gets our hopes up. Uh, the example I also gave, this is, a non, this is not a very good example, but it's a funny example. When you were in high school, you never said, man, I hope that the most unpopular and most less attractive girl or guy goes out with me, right? We never said that. We never put our hopes in that. We put our hopes in that maybe one day the prom king or queen would change their mind kick their current, you know, girlfriend or boyfriend to the curb and go out with us, right? But of course, that's because we're putting our hopes in something greater than ourselves. Hezekiah had a situation in his life where he was dying. 
And as we talked about two weeks ago, he was dying. And what happened was is God gave him a few more years on life. And at first he was really excited, but then he realized that even a longer life, it's not really in itself, it's a good thing. Because he's still got struggles, he's still got to manage a kingdom, he's still got a bunch of dis- disobedient children, right? Only God is bigger and greater than ourselves with which we can understand no hope and feel and have the confidence of who God is. The third week, last week we talked about the fact that we talked from Jeremiah and that God's mercies are ever renewable, right? Currently, right now, there's a lot of discussion about renewable resources. You know, we see the solar, we see the wind, and we see all that stuff, right? And so what happens is, is that when we desire and we look at that stuff, we like that kind of energy as we talk about in our papers and on the news because it's always continuing, right? Always renewing. Well, last week we talked about Jeremiah said that God's mercies are always renewing, right? So every morning when we wake up, every day when we wake up, we get up, we go to bed, we get ready to go to work. God is always afresh anew, desiring to have love and have mercy extended for us. Last week, we also talked about Jeremiah um, in the sense that when we get right down to it, that God is not only the source of good in our world, but also is the source of all love and faith and hope that we can ever have, right? I mean, when we try to ground our lives on anything other than God, it doesn't work. We try to ground our lives on money, doesn't work. We try to ground our lives on well, if we try to ground our lives on money, it doesn't work. Why? Because, um, you know, the stock market goes crash and then it's all gone, right? We try to ground our, money, our, our lives on our careers. We turn 60 and, uh, or 55 and the boss comes to you, gives you a gold watch and says, hey, you had a great time, see you later, puts you out to pasture, downsize you, moves it offshore, whatever the case may be, right? So, but God is not like that because his love for us and his mercies are constantly renewing, constantly trying to reach us as people. Well, today we're going to talk about Mary from Magdala, a famous passage in the Bible. Many of you will be familiar with it. Um, Being a little bit of a Bible scholar, I don't like to put Mary Magdalene because that's not really her name. It just says, in the Bible, it says Mary Magdalene. She's really Mary, and she happens to be from the town of Magdala. That's what it works. So it's like Douglas from San Jose, Mary from Magdala. Anyway, we're going to read her story um, this morning. That's okay. It's a joke. You can laugh. All right. Um, It's not a very funny joke, but you can still laugh. John chapter 20. All right, you can turn your Bibles there. It's going to be up on the big screen as well. Either way, um, it's all good. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Let's see this story of Mary. Here's also the Easter story. That's why I said many of you will be familiar with it. Here's what happened. This is Easter 2,000 years ago. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Okay, So Mary comes to the tomb expecting to find the stone there, expecting to think that Jesus is going to be in the tomb, doesn't happen. Now, here's the really cool thing. In the ancient world, women were considered a little bit higher than cows, right? So you had your, if you were a guy, you had your house, right? Well, let me see. Here's you. Here's, your, here's you as a guy. Your firstborn son was somewhere up there. Your property in your house was here. Your wife was somewhere here. Uh, and your cows were somewhere here. If you ever been in a third world context, dogs, they don't even care about them or cats. They don't even have pets like that because they didn't really do anything. Can't milk a dog, can't milk a cat, right? Not much use, okay? So the problem is, is that one of the classic examples of why the Bible is true is because no one in the ancient world would ever have done what? Used a woman to testify that Jesus really rose from the grave. That would be dumb. That would be like trying to say, that'd be like me showing up in court with a homeless person. The court would say, no, no, we don't, this, this guy's homeless. He don't, he don't count. Right? So it's really fascinating that God chose Mary to be the one to see him first. 
found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She's really upset because she came there expecting Jesus would be dead, would be there buried, and then, but the, the stone was rolled away. So she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. So she turned to leave and saw, saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? So she's getting ready to leave, and she sees Jesus standing there, but she doesn't know who it is. So she thought he was the gardener. Now, don't miss this, because in the Bible, in the ancient world, that's also kind of an insult, all right? The gardener was considered to be, like, he's the grave digger, right? So how many of you, like, go hang out with grave diggers for fun? If you're a grave digger here, I'm sorry. I apologize in advance. No offense whatsoever. But being a grave digger, even in the ancient world, was not considered a very good occupation, right? So the thing is, is that she didn't say that very nicely, probably. So she thought he was the gardener. Sir which is probably not, that's not really the word that's there. She said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. So Jesus says, Mary, in a voice that she is going to understand. She hears him. She turns to him and cries out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for my teacher, right? Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. What does Mary do? She tries to grab hold of Jesus, give him a hug, right? Because she can't believe he's alive. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So Mary from Magdala found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And she gave them the message that he had rose from the dead. Okay, three ideas that we're going to talk about this morning. If you have your, your bulletin there, um, inside you'll see a little handout. You can fill it out if you want to. Um, if you are the type of person that likes to fill things in, we've got stuff for you to do all service long. If you don't like to fill things in, you don't have to. It's all good. It's just going to be up on the big screen as well. All right, three ideas that we're going to talk about is that, first of all, we must not lose hope. Listen, this is the thing that, fa that, that, that Mary here really struggled with, and all of us also struggle with in our day-to-day -day life. It's very easy and very tempting for us to lose hope, and this is exactly what Mary started to do. I mean, if you can put yourself in her place just for a second, right? I mean, she, here she was. She's, she's living at a very auspicious time. I mean, she's walking around with Jesus, the Son of God. She knows that God is going to do something through his life. And then what happens, right? The crucifixion happens, right? He's killed. False charges, he's killed. And so he's buried. And Mary thinks what? Well, that's, is that the end of the story? Sure, certainly God is not going to just sort of end it there. There has to be more to it than that, right? I mean, there has to be more to it than just simply that. It's very easy for Mary to have lost hope. And as you and I both know, if we're honest with ourselves here this morning, it's very easy for us to lose hope and be discouraged in our lives. But the Bible tells us that we must not lose hope. Let's talk about this real quickly here. Mary gave up because she thought her hope was dead, right? I mean, if you've ever been to a funeral, you've ever seen anyone pass, right? I mean, it can be a very discouraging time. It can be a very terrible time. And, and that's exactly what Mary was going through, right? She saw a friend of hers, someone she really cared about, just laying aside for a second that he is Jesus, right? But just someone she cared deeply about who really loved her, right? Seeing him be tortured and killed for her sake, right? As an innocent person, just, just would cause anyone to desire, actually to lose desire, to lose hope, would cause anyone to just despair, 
That's what would happen. So Mary gave up hope because she thought her hope was dead. She was discouraged by it. We see here this morning um, that in the passage, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, so she was there just distraught, just willing to throw in the towel, upset, not sure if God was going to do anything because of it. Seeing Jesus dead and buried must have been incredibly discouraging for her. It must have been really difficult. It must have been really, really tough. The thing is, is that in our lives, again, what happens to us? When we get up, when we leave here on Sunday, we're going to go home, spend some time with family, hopefully. Some of you want to rush to work. Maybe don't do it so fast, okay? And, but then Monday, all of you are going to rush to work, right? And what's going to happen? Is, is that, are we going to remember Easter, or is Easter going to be sort of a figment of our Sunday's imagination, right? What happens when we go to work on Monday? We start getting a little bit discouraged. What happens when we come home on Monday, we open up the mailbox? Is there lots of letters from friends and family? No, there's bills. That's what's there, bills and junk mail, right? And so it's easy for us to be discouraged. See, the world tries to make us give up and lose hope. That's exactly what the world does, tries to make us give up, lose hope, give into despair. But the Bible tells us that if we are believers in Christ, we don't have to give up. We don't have to lose hope because God is there and wants to have relationship with us, right? Again, what happens on a given day? We wake up, we go to work, and our boss says, hey, I am so happy that you are here this morning. I love you. You're a great employee. I just treasure every moment we can spend together, right? Is that what your boss does? If you're the boss here, do you do that? Maybe you should. I don't know, right? But the problem is, is that as we go through our day-to-day -day lives, the world encourages us to give up and give in and, give and allow despair and discouragement to come into our lives. Here's the thing. A lot of times we live like this, right? This is a famous painting called Despair. Um, you probably recognize his big brother. It, has, it looks like another one that's, that that guy did. And so the thing is, is that this is the way most of us, a lot of us, go through our lives, right? We sort of go through our lives and just with our head down, and we hope that we can get through the week. We hope that we can get through the month. We hope that we can get through the year. But let me just, just pause just for a second, because most of you are listening. Is that what God wants for you in your life? The Bible says, no way, no way, that your life should not be one of despair, but should be one of hope, of confidence, that God is going to do something in your life and wants to do something in your life. That when we start relationship with God, that when we commit our lives to him and say, okay, God, I'm not going to live by the market, I'm not going to live by the paper, I'm not going to live by CNN, I'm going to live by you, and what you're calling me to do, it should transform us. As we talked about last week, it should propel us to live our lives differently, right? This happens two ways. How, do we, how does the world discourage us and encourage us to despair? First of all, by just frankly discouraging us, right? Again, you go into work tomorrow morning, you're pumped because you feel like God loves you, you feel like things are going to get better in your life, and your boss says what? Sit down, be quiet, and do your job, right? And what happens is the hope that you have just starts to flow out of you, right? And you go through day after day of this. You go home, you get the bills, the IRS calls, the tax people call, the government calls, Look, we know government's not going to save us. The market's not going to save us. Your family can't save us. Your money can't save us. Toys can't save us. None of those things are eternal that we can build our hope in. But instead, God is there and wants to be the person that we put our hope, we put our faith in. By discouraging us, and secondly, by what? Convincing us our money or our success is real hope, Right? I mean, I mean that, that's what happens. Is if we suddenly become successful, then we start believing it, right? I mean, 
a year ago, I, I could have said, listen, you're not going to be successful on your money. You're not going to be successful on your career. And a lot of you are going, you don't know. The market's going to be 15000 next year. You don't know what you're talking about, right? And, of course, what happened? The market goes down, right? Because when we base our lives according to the world, it's always going to be a cycle of despair, a little bit of hope and then despair, a little bit of hope and then despair, and never really going to matter to anything that is of eternal value. So the problem is, is that we can look at people, right? We can look at the famous people in Hollywood. We can see Lindsay Lohan. We can see Paris Hilton. We can see whoever it is, right? And we know that because they're successful and they have money that their lives are perfect, right? Well, you know what? You have a friend because if you go down to Safeway, there's things called the Weekly World News and the Sun and the Star and all those tabloids, right? And it's got like Paris Hilton. She's really a bat child, you know, with the ears and the funny face and all that stuff, right? The tabloids tell us that those people aren't successful. They aren't happy, right? Because they're not something that you can put your hope in. Only God, according to the Bible. And that's the reason why Mary was discouraged, because she was wondering what God was going to do here. This is what the Bible says about people in our world who put their hope in things other than God. That's what happens to all, this is from Job, that's what happens to all who forget God. All their hopes come to nothing. They hang their life from one thin thread. They hitch their fate to a spider web. One jiggle and the thread breaks, one jab and the web collapses, right? You probably know people who are like that. We look at stock market, we look at all the people in New York, right? AIG and all those companies, they put their hope in their money. They put their hope in their success and it was all hanging by a thread, right? And if, you, if you're wise, you go back through the history of our world, you know, you got Enron before that, you just keep on going back and there's always people who put their hope on a thread that breaks so easily, but yet God is not something that's going to break, as we talked about last week. His love for us, his mercy is always renewing, always challenging, always desiring for us to know him and to have a relationship with him. Second idea we're going to talk about this morning is that we must allow God to work his plan. See, this is the problem, this is the challenge that Mary had because she was outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw some angels, and then she, the, the, the angels asked her, Dear woman, why are you crying? And she says, because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they put him, right? So she doesn't really know what's going on here. I mean, she's confused. Um, Jesus died. She thinks she thought something was going to happen, but then seemed like nothing happened. Three days had passed. In Jewish culture, three days meant that the body was now worm food, okay? One day, there was a hope, you know, that maybe resuscitation or something like that. Three days, completely dead. So she turned to leave because she didn't really understand what's going on and saw someone standing there. And, of course, it was Jesus who speaks to her. So we must allow God to work out his plan in our lives. This is a difficulty because, as we see from Mary's example, she couldn't understand God's plan, right? I mean, she knew that God was going to do something. At least she was hoping that God was going to do something. But when it came right down to it, she just wasn't sure. And she didn't really know what was going to happen, right? She wasn't really sure what was going to happen. Here's the thing. Because we're not perfect, we don't have the best view of what God is going to do. That's why the Bible tells us that to some degree we have to trust in faith in God because we don't fully understand what he's going to do. We don't have the best view. Listen, this guy, if you guys watch The Office, right? Okay, I, I think it's kind of a funny show. And uh, so Steve Carell's on there. And what does he do? Every episode, it's a disaster, right? It's a train wreck. I mean, he's always doing things that are like, you just cringe because you're like, don't, don't go there, dude. Don't do that, right? Don't do that. That's not a, you know. The thing is, is that this guy is a good example of someone who can't even see how his office people are supposed to be, right? He can't even really manage his office very well. But look at our own lives. To a certain degree, me 
and you are all Steve Carell. Because we think we can manage our lives perfectly only to find out that we can't, right? Our kids get out of control. Our spouses get out of control. Don't say anything if your spouse is sitting next to you. Our lives get out of control, right? That's what happens. And even though we think we can do it all, we bumble it. I do, you do, we all do. And the reason is because we are not perfect. There's no one perfect in our world except for God. That's the reason why we say that God is the source of only good. And that's the reason why we say that he is the source of, the only source of hope. The confidence that we can build our lives on is him. The Bible tells us that all people, me and you and all of us, are imperfect, broken, selfish at times, and make mistakes. Me, you, all of us, we do that. The Bible calls that word sin. Now, I know we hear the word sin and we think of like Hollywood or we think of bad things, but that's because you're hearing it from culture and not from the Bible. The Bible tells us that all of us have sin in our lives. We all make mistakes because we don't understand God's bigger picture. We, we do things selfishly thinking it's going to help us in the short term, but in the long term, what does it do? It hurts everyone around us, right? We do it, I do it, you do it, we all do it. We all make those mistakes, we all sin, we all fall short, as the Bible says, of God's glory, his hope for our lives, right? So how do we do it then? What do we have to do? I mean, what's the whole purpose of Easter, right? Well, let me just raise this third idea here real quickly. See, if we can't see our own view, we know that God is the source of hope. But at the same time, we can't really figure out how to get to that hope. We can't even really see beyond ourselves. Then what is the Bible calling us to do? Well, third idea that we're going to talk about this morning is that we can return to hope with God. That our lives don't have to be defined by our taxes, by our bills. Our lives don't have to be defined by our ugly bosses. I won't say our ugly kids, but uh, our disobedient kids, right? Um, of course, all of our kids are wonderful angels and never disobey, right, parents? Exactly, right? And so, but our lives don't have to be defined by the bad. They can be defined by the good. But it requires us to do what? To find that source of good in our lives. It requires us to take hold of that in confidence to know that God is there. We can return to hope with God. See, Mary and Hope reached out to cling to Jesus, to her Savior. What does the Bible says here? The Bible says, she thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said, so that she would recognize him. So she turned to him and cried out, my teacher. And she, in doing so, what does she do? Jesus' next words are, don't cling to me, because what she did is what? Tries to hug him, right? That's what you would do with someone that you deeply cared about, that you thought was dead, right? I mean, that would be a natural reaction. You would just reach out and cling to that person. You would grab hold of them, give them a really big hug, right? So Mary and Hope reach out to cling to Jesus, her Savior, right? She knew that he had passed away. She knew that God was going to do something. He's standing there. We know now, of course, 2,000 years later, that he rose from the grave. But all she wanted to do at that moment was do what? Have her hope restored and hold on to him, right? I mean, if Monday morning, if you could wake up and you could know that your hope was going to be restored, you could know that you could just hold on to God, would you do it? Well, many of us would say yes, right? But the problem is, is that when you go out Monday, your mind is going to be convinced because of the bills, the taxes, your boss, the bad traffic, all that stuff. You're, you're going to be convinced that you can't hold on to God. But that's not true. You can. 
Because as we talked about last week, his love is renewing every single morning. His grace and mercy renews every single morning. Every time you get up, I know you have six hours of sleep, you get up, you're cranky, you need your coffee, you try to hit Starbucks on the way to work, right? But the truth is, is that through it all, God is still there with more love and more mercy than you can ever imagine. But it requires you to take hold of that. Listen, here's what happens. Whether in good or bad, God has a savior, a rescuer we can cling to. That's what Easter is about, right? Because instead of us trying to do it ourselves, and we can't, right? We can't do it ourselves because we can't even see beyond ourselves. We're like Steve Carell, right? We're trapped in this office. We're trapped in this life, and we just can't get done with it. We can't get done with all the bills. We can't get done with all the traffic. We can't get done with our job. We can't get done with the things. We can't do the things we want to do. And through it all, we have a choice to give up, to lose hope, to give in, to despair, to go to Vegas and party it away and then give in to despair, or to do what? To cling to God through it all. This is what the Bible says. It says this, Since we've compiled this long and sorry, sorry record as sinners, as broken people, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives that God wills for us, God did it for us. We don't have to do it. God did it. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself. It was a pure gift from him. God got us out of this mess that we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it because of Jesus. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. That's what does it, right? See, the thing is, is that you, as you get up in the morning, as me, as I get up in the morning, we're convinced that we can't do anything. We're convinced that we're powerless. But the story of the gospel is not that. Remember in the movie clip, right? Keanu Reeves is sharing about how G-Baby changed his life, right? And for one brief moment in time, he believed that life could be different. Well, the story of Easter is that for one brief moment in time, starting today and lasting for every day that you have until the day you die, that your life can be different. Listen, if you're here this morning, you have the opportunity for either the first time to decide to put your hope and trust in God rather than yourself, to put your trust and hope in something that is really good, something that is really powerful, something that really makes sense. Or you can leave here this morning and say, I'm going to trust in my toys, I'm going to trust in my money, I'm going to trust in myself or my spouse or my kids. But we know that the Bible says that trusting in that is putting your trust in something as, as weak as a spider's web, right? That's easily broken and destroyed. So I don't want anyone to leave here this morning confused because this is what Easter is about. It's not about Easter eggs or Easter bunnies or anything like that. It's about the fact that God sent Jesus to come. He died as a sacrifice for us. And then he lifted up his hands, just like in the movie clip, lifted up his hands in victory, right, on the cross, rose again on the third day so that we might have life. And by life, it doesn't mean eternal life. It doesn't mean go directly to heaven when we die, float around like naked babies. That's not what the Bible says. That's culture. The Bible says that once you have relationship with God, that starting that day, God begins to transform your life and restore you back to himself to make you into the perfect person that God wants you to be. And yes, when you die, you sit at his banqueting table. You sit with him in heaven. But it starts today. Listen, the church in America, the church in the West has given up. It's given up and gone home. That's the reason why the church is exploding in China, in India, and South America today because they have confidence that God can do something. But we in America, we've lost that hope. We've lost that confidence. 
But BBC, it doesn't have to be that way. Today can be Easter, but tomorrow can be Easter as well. You can wake up tomorrow, and you can feel the way you do. Your cl- that closeness you have with God, you can feel it tomorrow. You can feel it every day of your life. But it pl- starts and continues by putting your hope and your faith and your trust in Him. And we're just going to take a moment right now, just a moment of dedication where we can, we can just go to God and we can just take a moment and say, okay, God, what are you calling me to do this morning? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, I've never had a relationship with God and I need to start today. I need that hope. I mean, I've been putting my faith in other things. I've been, you know, my despair has been picking up. I mean, I just don't feel like I can make it in life. Maybe you're here today and you've been out of church for a long time and you feel like, you know what, I have, I I believe in Jesus, but I've really been going the wrong way and today needs to be a, a, a new starting point for me. Maybe you come to church every Sunday and you just feel like that you've been going through the motions and something needs to change. We're just going to have a minute with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, just for people's privacy, if you don't mind, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, just for a second. Let's just have a moment of, to think about this, and then we're going to have a moment of commitment. If you're here this morning and you just need to call out to God and just say that, Lord, I, I want to this morning to be a brand new start. Maybe for the first time you need to commit your life to Jesus. Just lift up your hand. Anyone here first time? I just want to get a chance to pray for you. Anyone here this morning first time? All right, well, maybe you're here this morning. I won't make you lift up your hand, but maybe you're here and you just need to just rededicate your life to God. You can just say to him quietly to yourself, Father, I want to know you. And I want my hope to be built on you. Father, I want to see you be in charge of me rather than me. Because I can't do it. I make mistakes. I act selfishly. I'm broken, Father. But you can fix me. So, Father, I want that. I want to commit my life to Jesus all over again. And, Father, I want him to be my rescuer, my savior, my redeemer. And, Father, for all of us here this morning, Lord, I just pray that Easter would not just end today. I know it's going to be a temptation for all of us, but Father, that Easter would continue every day of our year, Father, that we would commit our lives to you and that we would feel hope, not just feel it, but we would know hope as we wake up tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and throughout our week. Father, I pray that no one here would give in to despair or discouragement, but that they would take hold of the hope and the confidence that you have for them, that you are going to do something and you will do something very soon in their lives. Father, I pray that we as a church would not be marked by discouragement, by defeatism, but Father, would take hold of what you want us to do. Father, we pray this morning, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, our hope today is that we can have a relationship with God through Jesus, our Savior. And that's my hope for each of you, that if you haven't made that decision, that you'll make that decision. If you made that decision, that it won't be something that you just say, you just kind of, you know, tack it on your wall like an award that you have, but will be something that you will use, that you will take hold of, that you will apply every day of your life, that you will take hold of God and just cling to Him as Mary did, and that you would be able to raise your hand in victory as well because of what he did. Well, our life group moment um, this week is why did Jesus ascend to the Father instead of stay here with us? That's a good question, and we're going to be taking that up in our life groups this week. If you don't know what a life group is, we have lots and lots and lots of life groups. They're small groups of three, four, five, six, seven people that meet all, every day throughout the week. Um, it's a great opportunity for you to, to get to know some folks and get involved and grow spiritually. Our Sunday morning services are not equipped to help you grow spiritually. They're just equipped to help you, to challenge you to grow spiritually. But really, to be able to have a coffee in one hand and the Bible in the other hand and sit with a few other people and talk to them and have them pray with you and to, you know, just go through life together with you, that's what the Bible says is really the real church. And so we just encourage you to be a part of that. Um, we have, like I said, about 15 or more life groups that go on during the week. So there's plenty of them. There's one uh, for everybody. So they're out in the foyer. You can check those out. But for those of you that are in our life groups, that's what it is. Well, in our, in our 11 o'clock service, we don't take up gifts or offerings. Um, if you want to worship the Lord that way, you can do that in the back. There's, uh, there's two baskets on the wall. Um, if you're a guest here this morning, it's your first time at BBC, we ask that you don't give. This is our, our gift to you. So we don't expect you to give. We don't really want you to give. If you're a believer and you want to worship the Lord that way and you're the, or you're a regular part of this church, um, you can put your, your tithes, your gifts, your offerings in the basket there. Um, if you uh, have a green card, you came in this morning, you'll definitely want to put your green card in the basket by the door on the way out as well. That way we can let you know all the good things. You can leave in your chair too, but that's the best way to get it there. Let me just make a couple quick announcements um, as the worship team comes on up. Um, in your bulletin, you'll notice a couple things. First of all, there's the Building the Impossible sheet. Um, we hope to break ground on our building in June. Yes, we need money, but that's not the reason why I'm mentioning this to you. The reason why I'm mentioning this to you is because we are way short of the money that we need, so we're not even worrying about that now. We need all the able-bodied men to be willing to come here and work to help physically build the building. Okay, if you're a guy, you don't know how to put up sheetrock, don't worry, we'll teach you, okay? Um, it's all good, that's right. So the thing is, the only way we're going to be able to build, let me say it this way, as a church, we will die. In fact, we've started dying this year because we don't have the room to accommodate all the people, okay? That's what happened this year. So we must build the building, okay? We don't even have the money. We're not worrying about that. We're going to build it anyway, okay? So we have a contractor who's working with us, and he's going to use just regular Joes like me and you. If you're a lady here and you say, I don't do sheetrock, that's fine. Um, there's plenty of things you can do to help out as well. We're going to build that building. And so there's some information there. It's 7,000 square feet of kids' space and other areas. has more bathrooms, if you notice, as you go out here, that we have like one bathroom per, per, uh, per gender, right? Um, and so that's just some information on that. If you're new to BBC next week, there's a time where you can get to meet me and my family. Um, you can meet me today. Don't, don't be shy. Come on up. But um, if you want to ask questions or whatever, just get to know us better. It's going to be next week at 1230. Um, we're going to have the Sports Life Group is meeting next week. I think we're going to do volleyball. Um, and we're going to do some other cool stuff next week as well. But if you want to do that, you're welcome to come and hang out with me at 1230. 
Um, there's a list of all the life groups in your bulletin, so if you're interested in one, just mark it, put your name and email, and we'll contact you and let you know um, about those life groups. The food is free. If this is your first time here at BBC, it's all free, so go help yourself. Um, the Easter egg hunt will start approximately 12.30. Um, Rich, Lanon, and Rex, uh, you can see they both have name tags on. They'll facilitate that, and so if you have an Easter basket, great. If you have kids, you don't have an Easter basket, ask one of the ladies, and they'll try to find you a bag or whatever the case may be. There's probably going to be two Easter egg hunts, one for the little kids real quick, and then one for the big kids as well. Um, let's cut it off at 16. No, I'm just kidding. No. I think it's, what is the cutoff? Like no, there's no cutoff. 10, oh, no. no cutoff. Ramir, I guess Ramir is going to go out there. All right. Uh, we, we know so, the parents enjoy it as much as the kids. Okay, okay. So a reasonable cutoff. How about that? Okay, so if you see Ramir out there, please tell him he can't do that. Uh, if you came with a free gift card and you need validation, just go ahead and uh, Addie's out there, someone, and they can give that to you. Um, and uh, all right, so we're going to go and do our last song. If you want to stand and sing, uh, we're going to do it. All right. Thank you, Pastor. And thank you, everyone, for coming out.